My name's John Downs. I'm the founder of the Centre for Fortune Zoology, and you're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal UK's Inside the Goblin Universe. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I am another one of your hosts. My name is Brian Bowden. And we have a very interesting show, do we not, Mr. Bowden? Oh, we, 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 have a, we have a show that I think is going to blow the doors off of uh, the entire UFO community because of the person behind it and the legitimacy. And this is what, as an investigator myself, I've been dreaming about for a while, and I'm glad this, this person is here tonight. So I, I'm, I'm really excited. We're actually honored to have this person on here. You know, as uh, we're just getting started with Inside the Goblin Universe, we haven't even been on for, you know, half of a year yet. So we're still, you know, feeling our way around. Uh, But we try to bring as many different perspectives in, as many different uh, experiencers, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony. uh, And and we're looking at this from all angles, this this idea of the paranormal, this idea of things that go bump in the night. And uh, having a guest like we're going to be... uh, announcing here uh, right now just really adds to the legitimacy of what we're trying to do with this show. Oh, 100%. I mean, you can't get more legitimate than this. And and this is, if you wanted you wanted the proof without having a, a, a UFOs or, or aliens literally land on your front front yard, this is as the best you're going to get from it. This is this is gonna really is gonna blow the doors off of this this whole entire discussion and topic. Um, there's a lot of infighting going on right now, and I think people are missing the big picture. This is super important, and um, if it's all right with you, Ron, I would love to welcome to the Goblin Universe, Dr. Irina Scott. Welcome to our Goblin Universe. How are you tonight? I am fine, and I'm glad to be here. And thank you for inviting me. It is our pleasure that you are here. We we are. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. But I mean, it, <laughs> um, this is so incredible. And I I wanted to also thank um, Chris Evers from Outer Limits Magazine, Paul Sinclair, um, and Phil Mantle. Everybody, every one of them, pointed right to you first. You know, like oh, you want to interview me? Interview her first. Trust me. <laughs> and that's yeah. all it said. And one of the reasons that I'm excited about it is your latest book that's out right now. Um, it's UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Ups. I mean, from someone who is on the inside. So without further ado, if it's all right with you, Ron, can, Dr. Scott, can you give our audience a brief history or a, a little bio on yourself and how you got involved in this, uh, this, this whole topic and where you got to this point? Yeah, how does somebody make that leap in their life? You know, what was the turning point that brought you over to our side? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in science my whole life, and I'm not a technical ufologist. It's a hobby. And um, for my bio, I received my Ph.D. degree from the Veterinary Medicine College at the University of Missouri in physiology. I did postdoctoral work at Cornell University, been a professor at St. Bonaventure, and my master's degree was University of Nevada. My bachelor's from Ohio State University. And um, I've uh, done research 
and teaching at the University of Nevada and Ohio State University. I've also worked at Mattel. All right, right, right. So, so none of this is online stuff. This is all legitimately gained uh, credentials you got there, Doctor Scott. Correct? <laughs> These are all legitimate <laughs> credentials. They are the degree that I can show you if you don't believe me. And- no, no, I, 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 this is this is nothing you printed up on your 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 laptop or anything like that. You are an honest to goodness doctor of veterinary science. That's right. Well, I have publications and papers from various places where I work so I can you can tell that <laughs> yes uh, you know I believe I believe you completely actually I, I I spoke to my family doctor and he said that it's actually harder to become a veterinarian than it is to be a medical doctor it is in many ways because with a medical doctor you just know need to know about humans with the vet you need to know about all kinds of animals too that's right. That's right. I uh, I give you kudos on that. Okay. I'm sorry about interrupting. Go on. Go on, Doctor. <laughs> I also worked in um, some fields that could relate to ufology. I didn't plan to write a book when I was younger. I was just going through working and getting positions and things. But I also worked for the for places that were pretty important in ufology. One of them was the um, Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA. Another was a physical science cartographer at the Aerospace Center. And in both of these, I was using satellite photography. I had been a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University Radio Observatory when it was there. It was the place that recorded the wow signal, which... Have you ever heard that? Yes. Were you I there have, for absolutely. that one? Yes. Were you there when it was recorded, or were you part of part of that that team or, or group? Was I mean, it must have been exciting if you were there. I was there, but it was after that happened. Ah. But I met the people that recorded it. And that, and um, they were very. There, I think some of them are still working. They tore down the telescope and put up a golf course instead. Which <laughs> they weren't happy about. Proof of alien but, life, check. Golf now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 did you find that strange? Um, I, I, going into the subject matter that here is this telescope that's, that found pretty much the signal we've all been hoping for and looking for. And magically, yeah, we don't need it anymore. Let's put a golf course in. That's kind of really, that, that, that's bothersome, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if, if you ever looked back on it, knowing the information that you've, you know, collected over the years. Yes, yeah, so nobody was real happy about it, except financially, it was real good. So I guess that was a determined thing. Um, it wasn't something anybody, any scientist type person went out and celebrated about, though. Right. So, um, yes, keep. No, no. What, what's, Go on. No, what you what's good about we're revealing here and you're revealing is is your history and where you're working. I mean, Defense Intelligence Agency, um, SETI. Um, you you have a numerous publications, uh, both in the um, I think it's the private sector as well as the public sector uh, for magazines. Is is um, and this is the legitimacy of this. This is doctor. You're the you're on the inside for the most part, correct? Um, yes, what, I hope. 
also had been stationed at Wright-Patterson, and I knew somebody that worked there that had clearances and everything, and he showed me around, too. So that was another uh, UFO-related place I'd been. That's right. The idea that the Roswell uh, remains may have been taken there, uh, as well as some other things. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is this huge uh, you know, military facility uh, right outside of Dayton, Ohio. And a lot of theorists believe that this is kind of the uh, the holding place for different uh, alien remains and spacecraft and possibly even some uh, reverse technology engineering going on there as well. Yes, it's been highly. Uh, I had also worked as a correspondent for Popular Mechanics magazine. I wanted to add that. Oh, right, right, right. Well, Popular Mechanics is one of those mainstream magazines that have uh, that has indeed done in the past uh, uh, reports on UFOs and things of that nature too. Uh huh. And um, so, yes, I worked. I had been stationed or been sent to Wright Patterson and been there too. Now, when you were, when you were, after you've done all these, you know, the Wright Patterson, your your um, uh, mid mid Ohio, um, you, you started getting into MUFON, if if that's correct. Yes. Um, later, I started into MUFON, and I then served as on the MUFON board of directors from ninety three to two thousand, and I was um, director of publications and consultant in physiology and astronomy and a field investigator. Um, I was also a founding member of the Mid-Ohio Research or MORA organization and editor for their notebook. Now, did your work in in government and at, at you know the things that you, you came across at Wright-Patterson, Defense Intelligence Agency, what led you to that point of saying, hmm, um, UFOs or aliens or or some kind of interaction that way. I mean, it's it's it seems to me that the government and I know many people in uh, these these places and lettered agencies they don't want to discuss any of this. This is something that they've like like your book says years of lies. They've been lying about it, a lot of this. And what tr- what was that trigger that said you know I got to look into this more? Well, I had a trigger when I was very very young. I started out being really interested in astronomy, practically. When I was born, and um, I tried to get into it, I took I majored in it in college, and then I started looking for jobs, and they were all male only. Nobody'd hire me. Nobody even give me a, yeah. a, a application, and so I went into other fields that took females. But I always remained interested in astronomy. And I was as interested in the physical part and the astronomy part, but I was also interested in everything, such as UFOs. And they always say astronomers aren't interested in UFOs. Well, I was interested in both. And so I followed, kind of followed it all the way through, um, although I've always worked in science and not been a ufologist. Was there? Did you have a, a, a sighting or an experience with something that was just didn't calculate unusual or... Um you know, growing up, uh, we, we there's a lot of sci-fi movies. Before all this, you know, computer-generated stuff, there was always like Buck Rogers and and sci-fi and and you know it, that that intrigued me. Uh, in search of the the questions that they, they're out there, like you know, what if? Besides the, the astronomy background, you know. Well, I think I was just naturally interested. I don't think there was anything that exactly. You're- 
you're just a curious person and, and you have a desire to learn about everything there is out there. I mean, I think a lot of people are that way. Um, and that's a good point that you brought up too, Brian, um, that I believe that this is the first female that we have interviewed on this program thus far uh, that doesn't relate to some sort of, you know, something that deals with psychics or something. Yeah. Uh, because women are pretty much put on the fringe for this. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm excited to see what the female perspective is in regards to uh, the phenomenon we call UFOs. Well, <laughs> I guess the general idea is that I don't know what UFOs are, so I don't have, um, I can't give a lot of information on that because I just don't know. I mean, it's all a question, right? I mean, and that, that's the thing. I mean, none of the, nobody that listens to our program is going to come home at the end of the night and say we have the answers because this program and indeed the whole field of the paranormal is not about answers it's about looking deeper into the questions you know possibly we'll get answers sometime but for right now it's just you know trying to explore all these questions that we have and that the human race has regarding this uh, so what is some of the fundamental questions that you yourself has as an investigator, as an experiencer? What would you say, you know, some of the, the, these questions that you really want to see answered and the ones that you think about and to keep you up at night? Oh, I've talked to a lot of people and interviewed people that have had events and sightings and things. And that eventually caused me to think that well, the general idea of UFOs is, is they're craft from another planet, and they're technological, and we need to capture one and find out its technology. Well, a lot of people I interview say things like, you know, they'll have orbs or whatever you call them, objects that merge. They merge together. They may come apart. They may take different appearances and all kinds of weird things that don't sound like crafts. And so from a lot of interviewing people, I don't view them as crafts. I view it as UFO phenomena and that it's basically not very well known what it is. <laughs> That's right. And I think the perception is changing, uh, well, at least in the 21st century, because if you would go back in time and look at what, you know, other races and other other cultures have reported as UFOs. It's a very nebulous thing, isn't it? It's very ambiguous. It almost seems to have an organic life to it whenever we talk about UFO sightings from the past, which is the reason why I named our show the, the Goblin Universe, because a lot of this stuff relates to the idea of the world of the fairy as well. You know, if you would look back at medieval fairy encounters, it looks remarkably akin to 20th century and 21st century alien encounters as well. And I think that, you know, we're such a technologically advanced society. We're such an educated society that immediately we start thinking in terms of technology and computers. But that might not necessarily be the case. That might be our um, our uh, our uh, projection onto the backdrop of the UFO phenomenon, that indeed might not be what it's all about. And I'm glad that's a very refreshing um, uh, perspective that you have there, Doctor. Um, I recently saw a talk given by uh, John Ventry, who you may know. He's a MUFON investigator uh, in Pennsylvania and in uh, Ohio and I believe West Virginia. 
And he gave a remarkable talk, and I hope we're going to get him on the show eventually one day, that he believes that the UFO phenomenon can be explained in the idea of the hierarchy of, of fallen angels, which is a very interesting take on the thing. Of course, like we talked about, there are no right or wrong answers in this. This was only questions that we're trying to, to dig deeper into. But I, I, I like that. That's a very refreshing point of view that you have, uh, Dr. Scott. And, and, and I think that we should go deeper into that. If, if these things are not crafts, then where do they come from? If, if these are not interstellar transportation, modes of transportation, then what the heck are they? Where are they coming from? What is the origin of these things? Well, I um, I guess my basic viewpoint is is that we think of ourselves as technological and advanced. Well, we may not be. Um, we're, the human race is about 200,000 years old, and the universe is about 14 billion years old. <laughs> we're babies. Advanced yeah. yeah, somebody might have got a head start on us, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh, so that we may just see a tiny little part of things like an amoeba trying to understand our TV and you know amoeba might have some kind of amoeba theories on what our TV is or something like that and so we have a lot of theories we may not have any idea what's going on and it may be a combination of things that may be um, it may be maybe part of it is technological and part of it something else um, going back to, to your research and, and that, you know, where we, we really aren't educated, we think we're educated, but we're not, we may not be intellectually able to con uh, have the concept or the, the mind to wrap around what these UFOs or these, these objects are. Um, I know uh, Kenneth Arnold, a uh, private pilot flying in about 46, 47, um, saw the objects pretty much coined the uh, UFO phrase. Does this go back, the knowledge of this within our government? Have they been more aware of this before this event? Were they curious about it? Um, we, I've always heard reports of Foo Fighters, um, but were they investigating this at this point? Well, part of my book starts out with Kenneth Arnold and the events around that time because I think that's when they were when people were getting the idea that this phenomena might be related to space travel. And at that time, people were thinking about space travel, so that may be why they connected it. But um, it, at that time, it was interesting to study because the government was just putting together its ideas, too, and they weren't real smooth like they are now if, with cover-ups. But one of the first things we found when we investigated what concerned Cordell Hall. He was um, the Secretary of State for the longest time of anyone. He uh, is, was called the Father of the United Nations, and Roosevelt wanted him to run as Vice President, but he didn't want, he didn't want to. But we interviewed the daughters of his cousin, who was a minister and who wrote books too. And the cousins said that the daughters said they weren't supposed to say anything about it until long after both of these people were dead. And so they finally said something. And they said that uh, Cordell Hall had shown their father, who was his cousin, uh, an area 
um, a chamber below the White House or the Capitol that can, you know, there were probably lots of chambers that um, contained four bodies in big jars of formaldehyde in some kind of a craft. And they thought this happened in 1939. So it's possible that something was known about UFOs then. We don't know, but we did hear that. Wow. Um, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, the fact that, that it was actually in, in the, you know, D.C., Washington, D.C., <laughs> right there where everybody's going to the Capitol and, you know, and you have four alien species bodies there, possibly a craft. Uh, I just think about the time 1930s and, and you're seeing this. It's it's I, I don't know if, if people just go and pray at that point or or what they do. You, you start to question so much. Um, well, it, you know, yeah, I think that's a good point. But if the military gets a hold of it, this can also explain in the huge jump in technology as well. I mean, you go from the 30s right into the 40s in the atomic age. So something seems to have occurred that really kind of jump-started who we are, at least from a military perspective, right around the 1930s. Uh-huh. Um, so... We don't know, but he was a very prominent man, and his cousin seemed to be very honest and well-known, and the daughters, they were young when they heard about it, but they both remembered it, so it might be true. Well, sure, sure, sure. Um, and, and now you think that from your perspective, do you think the uh, United States government – knows about this and they're allowing it there is there a collusion going on is this something that they simply cannot control and they are like us and we're looking up the sky and wondering what is your take on the military uh, uh the military response to this well my take on the military is is that if any country had the knowledge of ufos they should be able to take over the world just like that just like a snap mm-hmm. and i don't think anybody's actually flown a ufo or anything like that and so i feel that i mean i logically think that the military may not know anything about it either or they probably know more about it than people but they may not be very advanced or knowledgeable about it i see yes yes, yes. so so in, in your research and one of the, one of the things i want to know is there any when, when you're doing all the research, you're interviewing for, like, you're doing your MUFON investigations, you're doing your, you know, just your typical, uh, most scientists that I know, uh, my uncle worked for the military many, many years, and he still doesn't talk about what he, he has been doing. Um, but there's, there's a curiosity there. So you're always, you're always kind of researching. Did you have or come across any type of smoking gun type of discoveries in your research? I came across several. For one thing, uh, Wright Patterson is noted for having underground chambers. And I had uh, interviewed Leonard Stringfield, who talked about the underground chambers and who had interviewed a lot of people from Wright Patterson. And I think there's probably really big underground chambers because of my work in um, toxicology. there are several um, atomic um, atomic refining places in Ohio that are now Superfund sites. 
and I've read the specifications for underground chambers, and they really have underground chambers that you wouldn't believe, like 30-foot-tall wall, wide walls and for huge um, chambers that they actually have specifications for. And so I, I don't know about Wright-Patterson, but I've read about the chambers in other places, and so I imagine that type of thing is in Wright-Patterson, too. But once I was driving on in most of Wright-Patterson is surrounded by chain-link fence and signs that say you're going to be attacked if you get in here and <laughs> all that. But I've been on base several times, and one time I was driving around and saw a whole lot of digging, and it was where people that said there were chambers. It was right over that er- the areas where people said there were chambers, <laughs> and so that made me wonder. Another thing was that um, uh, when the Roswell event happened, I, I think there's good smoking gun hard evidence that they took something Roswell debris to Wright Patterson, and the smoking gun evidence of that is that the, uh, the person a person was from Roswell was broadcasting on the radio. And he stopped in the middle of his broadcast and say, said that he had just talked to the pilot that was flying the – he just talked to um, Wright-Patterson. And they said the aircraft was on their way from Roswell. And that's pretty hard evidence that they flew something from Roswell to Wright-Patterson at that time. Yeah, it's hard to refute that kind of evidence. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty hard evidence. But then – the story also is is that they may uh, the Project Blue Book hired this several scientists at Battelle Memorial Institute to do a study of UFOs. That was secret at the time, but it's not secret now. And they did a very good study. But a lot of people at Battelle, there were a lot of scientists and everything else, very advanced scientists. They did a lot of work on metallurgy and that sort of thing. And um, it, I found out quite a while ago that uh, one man s- said that he had worked on alien artifacts. This was pretty interesting, although I didn't really think about it much. And I wrote it up, I think, in 1994 and didn't pay attention to it. Later, somebody read that and said, oh, that's a smoking gun. And what... <laughs> was a smoking gun about it besides everything else was is that the man um, it it happened when people didn't know anything about Roswell and so the man who said that he wouldn't have known about Roswell but he said he studied alien artifacts there and um, he said he had a sort of like a beam and it had some kind of writing on it he was supposed to interpret the writing Another thing that was interested, interesting was is he was a very high scientist. He did research and wrote papers. He was written up in American Men of Science. He was a metallurgist, and the people that Wright-Patterson hired at Mattel were generally metallurgists, which seems a little bit strange, too. And um, so... Um, it turned out that he had worked with the people that were hired um, 
from in Battelle to do the UFO study. And they don't know exactly who did the UFO study, so he could have been, well, been a part of that. And he talked about bringing home classified documents and things. And the Battelle study at that time was definitely classified. Well, yeah, when when you're talking about um, you know metalists, um, something that's that's well known about Roswell are the beams. They were talking about these different beams in the metals. Um, I think um, Jesse Marcel brought home to his house um, some of the materials that was collected. He picked up a couple of pieces, and they talked about this flat piece of it looked like metal, or he would compare it to aluminum foil today. But he would crumble it up, and it would go right back to its shape. And it heated up, and it go back. It, it almost the, the properties of this thing were just never seen before. So the, the fact that they're they're going to bring in metal or metallurgist to you know research is what is this material made out of? Why is it so light? Why is it so strong? I mean, it's 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 incredible. That is a smoking gun right there. Knowing what we know now, um, and you can't refute or refute that whatsoever. Uh, any other like like you know besides these? I mean. Have you have you seen any of the files that that maybe some of them have been working on, or were you privy to any of that type of information? Uh, I knew the um, archivist, the historian at Wright Patterson. He showed me through a lot of things. One of them was um, a document I can't remember the name of, it, but their first interpretation uh, when Wright Patterson started studying things was that they, the objects might be extraterrestrial. And they had that in writing and speculated about it and speculated how the objects would work and things like that. And there was, um, they published one paper that where they came out and said, well, they think they're extraterrestrial. But it's like have the things that happen now, the paper totally disappeared. It's like <laughs> they erase computer files now. Right. And... Um, there's just a few, a little bit of evidence of people that saw it, but um, yeah, almost like anecdotal evidence. Like, uh, uh, and, and that's the thing. That's the sad thing about what happens is the idea of the cover-up is not so much a protection of the military sources. It's it's really a loss of information uh, to the people as a whole. And you would think the Freedom of Information Act, after all this time, would allow us to see a little glimpse of some of this stuff, you know. But still, that's still not, you know, that's still yet to be had. Well, the thing is that they have a very good excuse for not uh, divulging everything because they can always say this contains classified information and they might say you know it has nothing to do with UFOs but it's classified information for other reasons and so they can get around everything with that oh yeah that and um, the best one is uh, this is a national security issue yes yes Mm -hmm. and once you you say that you're all bets are off that's right but you know what they've been making up uh, rather silly uh, scenarios such as uh, they were dropping mannequins from weather balloons and such. You know, it, it, it seems to be um, thinking that the American people are so gullible they'll believe anything from a press release. 
but I think that's coming around uh, a bit of uh, changing as well too. That you know we just aren't simply going to be uh, the sheep uh, being led by you know blindly being led by uh, our leaders anymore. I think that you know the idea of this being a uh, weather balloon after like you had said they were taking this material into the house. Even kids got to to hold on to it and see what kind of shapes it would take and it would return to its original shape. Um, it seems that there was more going on than a simple weather uh, balloon recovery. And again, uh, looking after this particular time, think about how far the United States has come with different types of polymers and different types of uh, uh, metals, as you said, a, a metallurgists coming in and studying this stuff. It seems that we are gaining some of our knowledge and some of our infrastructure by recovered artifacts from uh, alien uh, civilizations, maybe not extraterrestrial, but something that we simply do not know of. That could be, and for example, the person I talked about, I just talked about, Mattel. Well, he reported something like a beam with letters on it, and that was way before anybody had, before the Roswell information came out. But when the Roswell information came out, they said beams with um, marks on them. And that was kind of like what he described, but he wouldn't have been influenced by anything unless it was something he saw. That's right. Yeah, the Kecksburg incident that happened here in western Pennsylvania, uh, that was a, a similar type of occurrence where a spacecraft was said to have crashed uh, or a craft was said to have crashed. And uh, the military came in, whisked it away. But some of the eyewitnesses described uh, this particular um, acorn-shaped uh, uh, craft to have unidentifiable markings around the base that looked almost like uh, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. So, again – when we're dealing with these kind of things, we see that there's a a, a truthfulness in how they are um, represented. You know, people are adding little bits of very particular, very nuanced type of um, of uh, you know evidence to the thing that it doesn't seem like people are just offhandedly making this stuff up and hoaxing it in any way to try to get some sort of publicity or whatever. Well, I think that uh, about Kecksburg, for example, they acted like nothing happened, but it came it, – it, like I'm from Ohio, and so I heard from people in Ohio, but it made a lot of newspapers, and I'm from near Columbus, and when the thing came down, somebody in an airplane over Columbus even saw it, um, and – it was very widespread in Ohio and the Great Lakes and everything else because it uh, parts of it came down over a wide area and lit That's fires terrible. on the ground. And there were all kinds of newspaper articles from different places around northern Ohio saying, you know, there were fires from this. So it was – and then all kinds of people saw it. There was a sonic boom. Yep. It was being tracked on radar, you know, and that's when it, it's kind of hard to uh, quibble with that kind of evidence because it was being tracked over Canada. It actually made it a turnover Pennsylvania. Um, so if this was a fallen satellite, it seemed to be under some intelligent control as it came down. Uh huh. 
Yeah, but that's a very fascinating uh, uh, thing, too. I mean, not quite as well known uh, uh, in the general imagination as the Roswell incident. But I think as far as ufologists go, this is also as important as the Roswell incident as well. So if any of our listeners out there have any kind of uh, uh, questions, regarding the uh, the Kexberg incident, I, I would suggest that you read up on this and take a look at this. And uh, Brian, I think we should have an episode on this in the near future. We, oh, did cover, we did cover this briefly at one time, but I think we need to do a, a good hour on this coming up. Yeah, and, and Doctor, when, when you're investigating all these things from the, the you know, military slash government point of view, as well as your work uh, for MUFON, um, have there been any interesting sightings that that you've investigated that kind of correlate some of the the things that you've come up with your your some hypothesis that you may have had on what these things could be one of them i investigated myself with some other people was um we called we wrote it up and called it the dancing lights but it was in logan near logan ohio which is um in the south east part of Ohio and um, these people on a farm that was kind of isolated started seeing lights over their cornfield um, and they were dancing they were gyrating and moving around and what was interesting about the sighting was that it had a lot of witnesses it was, lasted a long time authorities came and looked and nobody could figure out what it was, but they had lots of time to. And the people that saw it wondered what was going on. And they contacted all kinds of people, like the police and the TV and radios and everything else. And so other people came and watched, but nobody had any idea who, what was going on. They were just these lights that were blinking and moving around. And the lights were interactive. For example, a car came down the road toward their house, and one of the lights followed the car until it got almost to the house, and then it flew back to the cornfield. Everybody was scared to walk in the cornfield, so they didn't get any closer than that. But then um, later, to add to the mystery, some planes came, and they started. They were flying over the cornfield in a grid pattern. They were, I think, they were one in, you know, single-engine planes. But nobody had any idea where the planes came from. But one of the lights flew up to a plane and followed it, too. And um, so they were quite interactive. And it lasted a long time. Authorities came, such as the police, and looked at it. It had been advertised. I mean, they'd told about it in the media. And so there there was a lot of time to explore the whole thing. But nobody had any idea what was going on. So when you go interview these witnesses that that you know you meet throughout different investigations, I mean, do you have do you have an opinion of of like what's your thought process with these witnesses? Are there some that are more um, like believable or genuine versus some that are just wow, this this person <laughs> didn't see anything or <laughs> making it up or just trying to be part of the crowd? Um, well, I don't think I've investigated any big um, – well, I've met some hoaxers that I knew were hoaxers. But um, a lot of the ones I investigated were just 
common, ordinary people. They weren't weirdos or anything like that. They didn't have propellers on their head or anything. And, um, it, you know, they just had a strange experience, and they weren't trying to report little aliens from another planet. They just saw something that they didn't understand, and they reported it. And a lot of times when people report things, then it's interpreted as they're weirdos and they're, you know, crazy right. or something. When they're honest people trying to find out what's going on. I mean, I know some people are crazy and I've talked to some hoaxers and things, but <laughs> most of the people I've talked to seem pretty honest. Pretty genuine. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we come, I, I do investigations as well. I go on the field and, and of course, I'm, you know, I, I you try to get this, this conversation going and, and at times you have to pick and choose how you go about it. Um, recently with a couple of pilots, I was at a co uh, my cousin's birthday party. They all are pilots, and they really wouldn't talk about it because I know that there is a fear of losing your position and your livelihood. But eventually, you'll always get, well, there was this one time, or there was this time we saw something, uh, but they'll do it off the records. Um, but I, it, it's just curious when you, when you investigate from a private standpoint, like myself, I mean, even though we, I'm part of a group, um, we still are privateers versus like MUFON, which is more of a public type of, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to say bureaucracy, but there is there's a there's an order there. No, and, I think that that's a good point. I think that I think that whenever you do have groups such as that, it does become almost a, a bureaucracy because you have to you have to go through certain channels. The reason why MUFON is so respected is because they have a vetting process on how to go about, you know, through the research. It's a very scientific method. So I think that I think that's, you know, a good point that you brought out there, Brian. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, it, it's just very interesting how, how uh, witnesses are. Um, there are some that are, are absolutely 100% credible. You don't have to question about it. Um, there are some that aren't. You know, there's both inspectors. It's that interesting line, Doctor, when you when you come across people that have information, they want to share it. Um, how do you uh, how do you disseminate through this information, and you get maybe a hypothesis for yourself, like, well, this could have been this type of object, or the, these dancing lights are similar to uh, something seen in West Virginia, let's say. Um, is there is there a process you go through? Uh, well, I used to do a lot of reports and um, send them in and that sort of thing. But I needed to process the information myself, too. And my brain's been working away. And that's one reason I wrote the book is I had a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's where I was going with this. Um, like, like what was, you know, with the new book and with the, you know, what what brought you about this new book? Because it, it's, it's, a, it's a great title. Um, and it's pretty much what everybody thinks about today. It's 70 years of lies, mi misinformation and government cover up available on Amazon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, because it's a different perspective, you're, you're taking the opposite perspective of this. Most people say, like, you know, they'll do the Roswell incident, or they'll talk about, you know, Kecksburg or the or another thing. You're you're basically saying we've been lied to for seventy years, um, purposely, and this well, is why. That's one thing that makes it kind of timely. Is is that now today people are talking about out facts and all that sort of thing, and you know computer files being deleted and everything and i was kind of saying that this sort of thing actually was going on way back and that people that studied ufos 
it was, I mean, people seem real surprised that these things go on, but people that investigated UFOs think it's been going on for a long time, the same pattern. Right. But it, it you know, um, I'm, I'm liking this book um, because of the fact that it, it goes into the, the uncharted waters. Um, and from your perspective, being someone who's worked uh, on some major league agencies and, and, you know, had the inside track, I mean, this is a I think this is the biggest smoking gun that's out there right now, um, and I and you know Chris Chris Evers over at, at Outer Limits and Phil Mantle were talking about um, some um, you, I guess some real smoking gun information regarding the sheriff uh, during the Roswell incident. Is there anything you can discuss with us about that right now, or I don't want to you know interfere with any any conferences, or can you dabble in it a little bit? I think it's coming out like tomorrow yes. in the outer limits. <laughs> uh, and what we have was um, it, the Phil Mattel got the information and started investigating. It was a deputy sheriff from Big Springs, Texas. And there was a video recording where somebody interviewed him. He's dead now. And so are the inter- people that interviewed him. But they interviewed him and also made a transcript. And he said that while he was in uh, Big Springs, Texas, and we verified some of it, he had been a deputy sheriff, but we couldn't find out the exact dates of when he was. I I called the uh, police department there or wrote to him, and they didn't have the information on deputy sheriffs. He went with a sheriff, and they were to go to the Roswell and pick up a prisoner. As they were driving there on their way there, um, he said they heard on the police radio that there was a crash of an object. And so they, um, I, I suppose they were pretty familiar with the area. They found it, and they said there were a lot of military people around and an object, and four bodies. Um, he said he saw them loading bodies with a lift on, in, uh, with a crane into a truck. And he had a description of that and the bodies, and the object was about 100 uh, feet in diameter and was round. Uh, um, he had, you know, just described all this, that they thought there was a crash. And then uh, the people, the military, he couldn't, he didn't know um, what branch of military the people were in. And that sounded like it was pre-Roswell, because after Roswell, they formed the Air Force, and the Air Force would have been investigating that. And he should have recognized, you know, an Air Force uniform. But then they told him to leave, and they left, and they said that they didn't discuss it with people because, or even with themselves, because they just didn't know anything about it. But then later, much later, they thought that this might have been the Roswell crash, and we're still investigating. We don't just finding out things, and we wanted to put it in the public domain in case we found out any more. 
Right. I mean, it's it just impressive because if you go back to the time period and, and the way uh, we were as Americans, I mean, this is something that's that's something you just don't expect to see it. And there's a there's a believability factor in it. Uh, people didn't really have a reason to lie about it, uh, especially if they're unaware of the significance of what this will be uh, 20 years later, 10 years later, you know, like uh, even now. Um, so for them to come out and, and him to you know, look back in his mind's eye and say, well, yeah, we were investigating. There were four bodies and um, uh, going into some details. And, you know, when you have a large military presence in your country, not now, but back then, that has to be something significant. And it's just great that, that you, you were able to get um, and research the uh, the deputy sheriff and get this uh this information out there, and I'm looking forward to the Outer Limits magazine, which is actually coming out tomorrow, but this broadcast is actually being recorded the day before tomorrow, which will be played on Thursday. So we're not going to be breaking it, but um, it's we're going to be following that up. Okay. <laughs> well, we're kind of breaking it. I mean, we're the first yes. uh, the first show to talk about it. Yes, we. I guess, I guess you're correct, Ron. We're, we are breaking yes. it. Um, are there other other parts of this book like that that you know that you wanted to get out there because it, you, it is seventy years of lies? I mean, what are some of the most intriguing things that that people don't realize? You know, we've been lied to about that we'll find out in the in the the new book. Well, one thing that was a little bit interesting was is that the person we knew in Wright Patterson that had us in there, he invited us into the most classified building. I think that is in Wright-Patterson, the Air Force Base is surrounded by chain-link fence with big, you know, whatever you call them, spikes and everything, and signs that say, if don't go past this fence and, you know, dogs will attack you and everything will happen to you, you'll be in trouble. Yeah, but, authorization of uh, lethal force and things like that, right? Yeah, and so I was on base and several times, and I've looked around the inside part but the man that was showing us around uh took us to what looked to me like the most extremely secured place building on the whole thing it was it had its own security and everything i actually took pictures of it too not very conspicuously though and um i think it had been it was it had been part of the old project blue book area so it was very historic and we went to a meeting there that was about Project Blue Book, which, you know, was a main investigatory agency of UFOs back yes. then. And um, it was a commemoration of the, the Project Blue Book um, project or organization, which was actually taking place in the old... Uh, part that used to be Project Blue Book. It used to house it, but the buildings had changed. But anyway, we were in this meeting, and the um, leader was talking, was saying that, was talking about um, UFOs, and I think he said, somebody, I think he said everything was now declassified. And that didn't ring true to me at all. But somebody stood up in the meeting. There were there were military guys there. And one of them stood up and said he didn't believe that because he had heard about um, 
airplane is taking video of UFOs when they were following them, that sort of thing. And so the leader said, and he asked the leader, are you sure this is um, all declassified? And the leader didn't even blink his eye and said, yes, it's declassified. And then immediately he said, there's people here that aren't, don't have clearances, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that sounded pretty suspicious. <laughs> It's it's almost like they were fighting with each other. Are you sure it's not it's declassified? Um, well, I can't picture everything would be declassified from Project Blue Book. I mean, they didn't have any security or anything else, so they weren't. They were more like a public relation thing than an actual uh, agency that was investigating because they were debunking at the same time and everything. But I imagine there were some things that were classified, <laughs> even so. <laughs> well, I just I, that it's impressive that you're you're there at the base. You're in in a really secured area, um, pretty much Project Blue Book. I mean, it's it's. I'm a history guy, and I, I you know it's kind of like being a, when you go into the room in the Philadelphia and in Independence Hall, and you know that these these gentlemen got together and pretty much committed treason. Uh, because they wanted to be treated like human beings, so I, I, I that would, as far as UFOs concerned, you just went on the Holy Grail tour. <laughs> you were pretty. That's to what that. I thought. I just was totally amazed that, <laughs> that happened to me. <laughs> what a different perspective! It's like like you're like, oh, please let this be de declassified so I can get some more answers for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's it sounds like a, a, an amazing book, and and I would love to let everybody know besides Amazon um, is there any other place that they can acquire a copy of the uh, UFO today 70 years of lies misinformation and government cover ups the only place I know of right now is Amazon Right. Uh, what about in person? Are you going to be appearing at any uh, any conferences or anything that you like to tell the folks? Because I think the best way uh, to see an author and to get the uh, the autograph is by doing a conference and just buying the book right there. Yes. Well, I've been uh, invited to one in Ohio. I don't think it's totally set up, though. And they've talked about some other ones, but I don't think everything's set up yet. But you should definitely go on a, a little tour there. Would you? What, will you be going over to the Outer Limits Conference in September, um, and meeting up with uh, Philip Mantle and, and Chris Evers? Chris and Evers, maybe yeah. presenting uh, your information there as well. Join them on that that panel. Somebody said something about it, but I don't. I don't know that much about it yet. When, and, and as far as um, getting people wanting to get in contact with you uh, regarding questions or more information, do you have a, a website, a Facebook page, or uh, anything on social media where they can find more information about your research and what you've done? I have a Facebook page. It's just under my name, which isn't hard to find. And um, I'm setting up a um, website, but... It, it isn't quite set up yet, so I... <laughs> That's fine. Neither is ours. <laughs> but um, we do have a Facebook group, and we're going to post uh, all the information. We're going to post a link to the UFO uh, book, your book, the latest one. And um, definitely any information that you have and you want to share, we would more than welcome and, and love to, to help you out and uh, post it on uh, Inside the Goblin Universe group in our page. So please just definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll contact you through Facebook, and we'll get that going. Um, but 
I personally think this is this is an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on Inside the Goblin Universe. And I mean, I think we need another hour, two hours, Ron. <laughs> uh, absolutely, most certainly. Yeah. Well, the thing about UFOs is that you know. It, it is just not an hour program uh, because there's so many more questions that ar- arise. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll definitely have you back on again, Doctor Scott, sometime in the in the future. And again, uh, uh, Brian, you want to give them our uh, our uh, how to get in contact with us if they have any questions uh, concerning future shows. Sure, um, we have a, an email address, and it's questions at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.com. And if you have Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Irene, you want to ask Dr. Irene Scott uh, some questions regarding this or her information in, in as far as for MUFON and the other agencies worked in, please send us send us uh, uh, the email. We will make sure that, uh, Dr. Scott, you get it. Um, and uh, we'll also answer any questions you have. If there's guests you also want to see on the show or the program, uh, just let us know. We're we're very. We want the information to get out there, um, and we want people to 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 be introduced to really credible people that have really relevant information, like Dr. Irene Scott. And it's it's you need to start doing some reading. Uh, no more no more YouTubing and uh, quick Facebooking. Read the book. I mean, it's 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 going to be a great read. So I, I urge you on that. Absolutely. Dr. Scott, I so appreciate you stepping on in inside the Goblin Universe. Yeah, inside the Goblin Universe <laughs> with uh, uh, Brian and myself here on the uh, Paranormal UK Radio Network. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful to be here, and I, there's a lot more in my book that I didn't talk about either. It's been great to be here. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It, we'll definitely invite you back uh, in, uh, for a future show. We promise you that. Great. Yes, definitely, right. definitely we will. All right, so I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I guess it's time to uh, uh, sign out here, Brian. Uh, like, like you said, we could go on for at least another hour or so, uh, but we will sign out of Inside the Goblin Universe for now. Uh, folks, come by again next week, and we'll see what other things we have in store for you. Uh, until next week, my name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. And we'll see you next week Inside the Goblin Universe. Join the Outer Limits magazine at the Freedom Centre, Preston Road Hull, on Saturday the 9th of September 2017, when we shall present a conference titled 70 Years of the Modern UFO Era, featuring the very best in British paranormal investigators, researchers and authors. From Hull, Mike Covell will look back at over 70 years of ufology, highlighting some cases going all the way back to 1801. Bridlington's Paul Sinclair with his lecture on the still-developing Wilsthorpe Blue Saucer incident. Following our lunch break, Russ Callahan will present a video reappraisal of the last 70 years of ufology. Associate Outer Limits magazine editor Malcolm Robinson presents UFO hotspots from around the world in this new for 2017 presentation. Our headline speaker is Philip Mantle, the former director of investigations for Bufora and a former UK representative of MUFON, presenting a review of his almost 40 years of investigations. Don't miss the never-before-seen film of a possible Roswell UFO incident witness, featuring a former US deputy sheriff who claims he witnessed bodies at at the site. Tickets are only £10 each and available from the Outer Limits magazine website. You can find the link to this on our Outer Limits magazine Facebook page. Or simply email theouterlimitsmag at gmail.com to receive the link. All this for only £10 each? What are you waiting for? Don't miss out. Tell your friends too. Come and be informed.